Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Gentlemen, this is a podcast you will play for your grandchildren. And mightily bored they will be. <laughs> My gentlemen, the plan is this. Squidgy St. Michael Asquith Bowles will lead his Princess Agatha's own light-feathered cavalry from the starting point here against the Bosch lines here. Meanwhile, Roderick Glasswood World will lead his mechanized 53rd Welshman along the line here. What do you think of that, Roderick? Anyway, meanwhile, Bradley and Ned will continue their discussions of the top five battles of World War II. I know, I know, they've been at it twice already and got a jolly rum beasting from Jerry to show for their efforts. But it can't be helped, and I'm sure this time we will meet with success. Kickoff is 14.35 tomorrow, so in the meantime, let's all enjoy a glass of claret and a jolly good game of rugger. Now, gentlemen, I'm not saying this will be the best podcast we've ever listened to, but I wouldn't miss it for the world. Two, one, two, three, go. Brother Nuts. Top five everything. We're back. We're back. Jeez, man. So oh, time flies. This is almost like, you know, top five albums. Yeah. Yeah, we have three you? podcasts. Is that, is that you? <laughs> I have the beard. Yeah. yeah it's very exactly. Rip Van Winkley. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we've got, uh, boy, we're up to five now. I so we totally could have stopped. Yeah. Well, we could have probably stopped. But maybe, man, maybe even have more than that now. I mean, World War II is the war that keeps on giving. It does. Yeah. I think it resonates. Well, obviously, I think it's, we are We it's are the trite. podcast equivalent of that. Uh, remember the uh, the Dennis Leary song, Asshole? It's like <laughs> leather band books about war. Or Wars, like that. Yeah. yeah. That is us. Yeah. yeah. That's what we're doing that's right now. No, it's true. Yeah. I mean, I think it's somewhat trite to say that uh, it uh, it resonates to this day, mm-hmm. you know, politically, geographically, uh, militarily. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, well, so on that one, let's uh, let's dive in. I think I have a couple left. I don't think you do have any more left. I've got I've got a few. Like I'm going to do what I did with the the airplanes ones, where I'm just going to shout out names of battles, and you're going to tell gonna, me I'm all, about tell it, you all about them. I'm just going to sit okay. back. Well, with that in mind, I'm going to jump off yeah, with, yeah, with yeah. one that I yeah, think yeah. is quite important: Battle of Midway. Mm, okay. So as much as we talked about Stalingrad, is sort of universally considered the turning point of, of the war in Europe. Midway is absolutely the turning point in the yes. war in the Pacific. Yeah. So, uh, and it comes pretty early on. It does come very early. And this is, again, we talked about this last week where, yeah. like, the war is over now, Japan. You can yeah. quit. Like, all four of your aircraft carriers in this strike group that had run rampant yeah. through the Pacific in 1940, late, late, late 41, yeah. early 42, they're all sunk. Okay, they're all gone. And they didn't battle. try to... This is... Sorry, we're, we're, I'm probably de- derailing no, you a bit. No, no, wait, we can keep... Well, I don't understand. Japan clearly knows aircraft carriers are very, very important. They do. They lose their aircraft carriers, and they start building battleships. No, the super Let's battleships. Let's build the biggest battleships the, the ever. Yabato and the... Yeah, yeah. There was the second one, I forget what it was. And like, like one uh, one bomb down at smokestacks. And, and boom, yeah. it's gone. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so the Battle of Midway is interesting from a few points. So USA is definitely on its back heels at this stage in World War II. So the bulk of the capital ships of the U.S. Pacific Fleet are uh, either lying at the bottom of Pearl Harbor or being repaired after Pearl Harbor. But, you know, as I think most people would acknowledge, I think most sailors understood at that time or naval commanders, the capital ship was no longer the battleship. Yeah. It was the aircraft carrier. 
And those were out on maneuver. And those were conveniently out on maneuvers. So many people have talked about some conspiracy theory about Pearl Harbor that either it was an inside job. Well, either Roosevelt knew it was going to happen, but wanted it to to create the excuse to get into the war. Oh my God! Or Churchill knew it was going to happen and didn't tell the Americans about it in order to create. I'm convinced. All right, <laughs> yeah, it's very convincing. It, it's it's a great narrative. I don't know if it's true though. Yeah, it's hard to say because. All three aircraft carriers of the U.S. Pacific Fleet were gone out of Pearl Harbor that day. And that would end up biting the Japanese in the butt several months later in midway. But the thing is, they were going to build more aircraft carriers one way or the other. They were. It's like, oh, now we've but got it, three but more than we would have had otherwise. No, you're right. And, and it, again, it's the idea of like you're never going to beat the United States. Japan is never going to beat the United States. No. But how far could Japan have leveraged how far could they have occupied? How much could they have occupied? And how far could they have leveraged maybe a brokered peace? Could they have occupied Hawaii? Oh, yeah. But I don't and, think they were going to get a brokered peace in were. 1941. Like, I don't like think they were. Britain 42. Or, sorry, 42. Sorry, yeah. Well, I agree with you. What, I don't think they were. Well, Pearl Harbor. 40, December 41. December 41. Yeah, yeah okay. So, and, but I mean, you have the yeah. fall of the Philippines in 42. Yeah. Uh, you have all the island campaign. What like, I'm saying is like... like Guam, Churchill, uh, man, man, I'm going to say not nice things about Churchill. I don't like doing it. But anyway, here we go. But he had already laid down the never surrender line. Yeah. What, what, America's going to be like, oh, yeah, Britain's not going to surrender, but we'll fucking, like, give we'll, it up for... We'll throw for it Japan. in here yeah. on yeah. Japan. Yeah. Highly unlikely, yeah. but that it was sort of the... And this is where you have... We talked about last week with the Marco Polo Bridge incident and the the Japanese military, mainly the Japanese army, just sort of taking over policy. Japan had policy. no freaking strategy. It's amazing. None. You read about None. it. None. It's like they're like every it's like an octopus where every arm has its own brain and it's like doing things that, that like is totally uncoordinated. Totally brain dead. What were you trying to achieve here? Yeah. And Cause it, tactically, it's a very good attack, Pearl Harbor. Brilliant. Like it's, yeah. But strategically an ultimate failure. Because yeah. all you've done is bring bring America into a war at a time when America was still very isolationist yeah. and had no interest in yeah. getting involved in the of war. Of course, now we're now we're trailing off. Why the hell did Germany, Germany declare, declare war, war on the United States? Yeah, because people forget that the United yeah. States never. And there was a uh, a lot of discussion in the United States in you know in the days after Pearl Harbor of like, well, Germany didn't attack us, and we still don't really feel yeah. like getting into a war in Europe. I mean, under Roosevelt, they probably would have ended up. But oh, I they mean, that was that was. And backward. Roosevelt w was in an intelligent man and knew the real threat was Germany. Yeah, Germany had the industrial capacity and the technological capacity, mm. you know, to develop nuclear weapons to, you know, to really be the threat. Japan, and it's so condescending and insulting. And I, any Japanese listeners, I don't want you to take it that way. Because Japan, obviously, technologically and militarily at a tactical level, was brilliant, heroic, incredibly ferocious uh, fighters. They're just not going to beat America. No. What are you thinking? They, yeah. It's never going to happen. I mean, the reason they attacked America was because they could never beat America, right? They That's attacked right. America because they had no resources and they thought their fuel was going to be so cut off. So they thought they could get out ahead of the game. Yeah. But that's the lack of thought. Yeah. Okay, then what? Yeah. And, and there's no then what afterwards. Yeah. But we're so, talking about Midway. But we're it's, talking yes. about Midway. So you, uh, Midway, there was actually, many people think of it like the first battle after Pearl Harbor. And that's not true. The U.S. Navy actually got into, uh, their carrier force got into a bit of a shoot-up in the Battle of the Coral Sea. Ah, yeah. Which became known. Which Mariana's, was, uh, was no, that? Mariana Turkey shoot was later. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
No, it was a close one. So tactically, that has often been considered a Japanese victory. Okay. But strategically, an American yeah. and Because there aren't many Japanese victories. After 42. Yeah. Yeah, no, not many. That one, a tactical victory, but it sort of stung the Japanese enough that that sort of stopped their advance yeah. uh, towards Australia, yeah. for instance. So that, you know, sort of, they start consolidating the Solomon Islands, consolidating, uh, you know, Port Mosby and, and you know, Bismarck Sea and that much. That, and uh, that's sort of their, the lack, you know, the lack of their aggressive movements south to Australia. But not a tactical victory for the United States. So they lost a carrier, yeah. uh, the Saratoga. Oh, they lost the Saratoga? That's, okay, yeah. Is it Saratoga? They are, I can't remember. Uh, I think they lost one carrier in the Battle of the Coral Sea. And this becomes very important for Midway. The Lexington, uh, which was one of their largest fleet carriers, was severely, severely damaged. And the Japanese knew this. And they only that left only America, two carriers left in the Pacific, the Enterprise and the Hornet. And that was yeah. it. And the Japanese were banking. You know what they needed? What's that? The Ark Royal. The Ark Royal. This is going to be our part. This yeah, is going to be our yeah, podcast yeah, on the yeah. Ark Royal eventually. So the Japanese knew this, and or, the Hermes, or thought they knew this going forward. Um, so as they've advanced uh, across the Western Pacific, so Wake Island, Guam, uh, these areas have fallen. Midway is the next one on it. Midway. Yeah. Its name is literally, it delivers on what it promises. <laughs> yeah. It is midway yes. in the Pacific. Strategically, this little dot is immensely important. It's big enough for a radio communications relay station. It's big enough for an airfield. No, you can fit it. Yeah, that yeah. seems to be the... And that's what it's, it's like. Important. Can you fit a, a runway on yeah, it? Yeah, you can put a big runway on it. Yeah. And uh, so the U.S. did have uh, a few troops on it, a few Marines. They had some land-based bombers on it. Uh, they were prepared to defend it, but it probably would have fallen to the Japanese invasion force that was coming. Japanese invasion forces sort of divide into three parts. They have like their carrier strike group that has just been running rampant across the Pacific for several months, including the Coral Sea, because as I said, it was yeah. still a considered a tactical victory. Uh, sinking a sinking an aircraft carrier. Yeah, when America didn't have a American lot of aircraft carriers at aircraft that time, carrier is a big deal. That was yeah. a deal. You're right. America is going to be able to build more of them, but this is very early yeah, yeah, on in the war, and yeah. American industry is just starting to turn to this. And quite frankly, we're just chalking up, you know, points where you can get them. Like we all yeah. know how this story ends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, the Japanese this carrier strike group, four carriers. Uh, the names of them escape me. The Kaji, this the oh man, you know the, the names of Japanese. I forget. Right? I know like the the Yamamoto or yeah, yeah well, that's their super battles. Yeah. So this is one part of this three-part strike group. Another part is a surface combatant force. Uh, it's going to do preliminary bombardment on Midway as part of an amphibious landing. Yeah. And the third piece is the amphibious force. The Allies or the Americans know something's coming. They know something's coming, but they have no idea where it's going to be. And they've been sort of playing on their back heel the whole time. Yeah. You know, they lost the Philippines. They lost Guam. They lost Wake Island. Obviously, Pearl Harbor was a disaster for them. They need to get out ahead of yeah. Japan. Japan is definitely winning this fight. And so this is where American intelligence mm. crushes the Japanese. And Japanese hubris reigns supreme. Yeah. This idea of like no one can crack our codes. Our codes are amazing. The Americans obviously have been reading the Japanese yeah, yeah, codes yeah. for a long time. Uh, the problem was that they didn't know 
in every case what the codes meant. So they knew something was happening. They knew the fleet was moving. They knew there was a large amphibious force. So you're going to invade something, but what are you invading? So the Americans were trying to track down some way to pinpoint uh, the target of this Japanese task force that is now moving. So they sent, and they thought tactically it made sense it would be midway. So they sent out a code, but it had to be something. They had to send out a message that they knew the Japanese would intercept. And they knew it would be important enough that the Japanese would risk talking about it in one of their communications. It couldn't be something like, it couldn't be something on the fringes, you know, okay. like, oh, the weather over Midway is cloudy. Yes. They're not going to put that out in a communication. It's not tactically worth it. So what Midway they, Pizza has the best pizza <laughs> Midway on Midway. Pizza. Have you seen Midway Pizza? So good. <laughs> yeah. It's in a square. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Uh, we don't cut corners. Yeah. So what they sent out was a communication about uh, the water supply had dried up on Midway and the pumping system had broke. Oh, that's a good So one. there's no fresh water. Yeah. That's a big deal That's if you're a, going to invade man. it. Whoever came up with that, brilliant. Yeah. Like, like, well, there's this good whole work. crew of like these eccentric, weird American naval officers. One of them, his yeah. name escapes me, and he used to wear a robe. Like, that yeah. was his uniform. He just wore a robe. And they're weird mathematician y people. Yeah, it was like Bletchley Park. Like kind of. Bletchley, yeah, yeah, the American yeah. Bletchley Park. Yeah. Outside what the movie, boss is it, thinkers. Is it 13, not 13 Days. Which, which is the movie where it's. Naval intelligence. The guy walks into his office. It's like a 1960s. It's a black and white movie. Oh, I don't know. It's it, it's not 13 days. Six days in six days in May. Is it? Six, I think it's six days. Oh, in that's May. a great movie. Yeah, yeah. With, with, with uh, yeah. Burt Lancaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah so it's all about uh, about the military taking yeah. over democracies. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But I think I think it starts with a naval that's intelligence guy. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, he's a marine actually. Okay. Well, I think yeah. there's a scene with naval because naval intelligence is sort of shorthand before like NSA became a thing. I think also. Naval intelligence Crypt- is a shorthand crypto- for cryptography. Yeah, cryptography. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So the Americans uh, sent this message out. And sure enough, so they sent out a message saying, Midway, blah, blah, blah. Immediately they get a message, a coded message that they get. The Japanese send out, you know, Midway. And their code for Midway, and I forget what it was, but their code yeah. for Midway was whatever. You yeah. know, vanilla has no water supply. Yes. So now every time vanilla shows up in a coded yeah. message, you know exactly what they're talking about. And now they knew it was midway. Yeah. So now they get ahead of the game. So they can pre-position their assets. But their assets are two functional aircraft carriers against four Japanese aircraft carriers. They've got the land base at midway, but it's not a huge yeah. it's not a huge asset and um, they've got the element of surprise. What they need now again is as reoccurring through this podcast over the last three uh three podcasts three weeks it's flown by man is this industrialization of the importance of american industrialization so the lexington gets back from the battle of coral sea the japanese are like by any standard it is not going back into action anytime soon the americans turn it around in like a week yeah it is back at sea ready to fight that's why they're the greatest generation uh, arguably, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I would say everyone of that generation, yeah. Canadian, Australian, South yeah. African, anyone is. But yes, they turn this around in no time. So now America's got three carriers at sea. But it's still a bit of a game because... What's the, what's the comparative size of the carriers? Are we talking about the Japanese? The same. About the same, okay. about the same yeah. size. So you're putting about the same amount of airframes, the same yeah. amount of aircraft out. So this is where you have the edge. So the Japanese are assuming there's going to be if there's any American carriers out here, there's two. But 
but there's probably none because they have no idea what we're doing. We're it's, this yeah. is just like you know this is the same carrier group that had uh, attacked Sri Lanka in the Indian Ocean about oh, two weeks before. Wow, that's a, the yeah, British. That, like it is literally yeah. rampaging across the world. Yeah, and crushing everything in front of it. Their sense of their hubris is off the charts oh, okay. at this yeah. stage. Eh? And you know they haven't gone home to like their wives haven't been like. I think you're. I think you're getting a little ahead of yourself yeah, there. You get. You should yeah. calm down a bit. Yeah. Like, do you? Really no, no. They've been. Think? They've been like yeah. feeding off each other. We're winning, this, baby. This, yeah, yeah. They are exactly. literally Charlie Sheen. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Tiger juice, whatever. Yeah. Winning. We are winning. So the Americans, uh, able to preposition their assets, they their reconnaissance planes go out. You get this. Uh, this is so the whole battle of Midway. The two sides never. The two fleets never met yeah. each other. You know, Coral Sea was the first naval battle where the two sides never met each other. You know, they fought totally by airplanes. A lot of people think Midway is that, but it's actually Coral Sea. But Midway takes on a whole new dimension because it's a huge naval battle where surface ships are really only there to protect aircraft carriers with their aircraft guns. Um, At the end of the day, overwhelming victory. The Lexington is sunk. Uh, on sort of a last ditch attack by the by the Japanese forces, but all four Japanese aircraft carriers are sunk. This is it. Okay. This is the end of Japan's dominance of the Pacific. What happened to Japanese naval aviation? Mm-hmm. Like it went from dominant to just so. This was a butt. big. This was a big part of it because along with those carriers. You're losing those pilots. Is it the pilots? I always understood it was the pilots. Like it was they, the pilots. Japan You're right. could build the planes, they but they couldn't, couldn't train the pilots. They couldn't bail. You couldn't turn the pilots around fast enough. The idea of a Japanese pilot was trained in such a way that it, it took so long to train them. Yeah. Right? If you look at like the British Commonwealth Air Training Plan in Canada, they're pumping out pilots like crazy. Yeah. America, as soon as they're in the war, they're doing the same thing. You know, they will get experience. We need to get them in cockpits. We need yeah. them out there. The Japanese naval aviator of World War II was like a samurai. Yeah, so you it know, was, he this, was this, like, yeah. He, 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 there was so much more yeah. to him than just learning how to fly. Yeah, he had to, he had to wax the, the zero. <laughs> yeah. Take the wax he, off he the zero. He had to learn it. Yeah. He had to, yeah. you know, no time for this. And after Midway, this so was... So it was kind of a like, cultural thing. It was like cultural. It, and this was uh, what happened after Midway. Is not only have you lost those... Fleet resources, those four carriers have yeah. gone. You've lost everyone flying in those. You've lost so many pilots, so much air crew. Japan and the Imperial Japanese Navy never, ever recovers. Never, ever recovers. Several major fleet battles are fought after that. Uh, the Bismarck Sea, Lady Gulf, uh, yeah. the air campaign of Okinawa, which was really just a kamikaze camp. All the engagements in uh, the Guadalcanal area, which in some cases are victories for Japan. But small tactical yeah, ones. Yeah, exactly. They never win a major fleet no, battle. It's like again. Midway is really like it's just it's their style. It's all ground. America. It's yeah. all yeah. It's all American, and and they deserve the credit for it. And that turns the tables yeah. in the Pacific. Listen, because I mean, talking about the, the cultural thing. Because I mean that that sort of notion of the, the the Japanese aviator being a samurai, but it, you know, and it applies to the army as well. But that's why Japan was in the war. Like it's yeah. that notion that it was a cultural notion that they needed to, you know, a regeneration of right. the country through, yeah. you know, martial vigor. Yeah. You know, yeah. was was why they got into this in the in the first place. So 
Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't have been their war if they had, you know, the Commonwealth training plan of just pumping out yeah, pilots. Yeah, pumping out like, pilots, because culturally they couldn't they do that. They needed to fight this war yeah. as if it was, it was, you know, some kind of... This, and I wonder, I, like, oh, God, I don't want to get into, like, yeah. cultural speculation. But, you know, it was that, that resistance, you know, the Meiji Restoration and yes. know, the, the industrialization. It's that reaction to it. It's like, no, no, these are the, 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 the traditional virtues of Japan. Yeah. So, yes, we, we need are... to bring them to play. Exactly. So, yeah. yes, we are, you know, we're becoming an industrial power. But we're still going to impart yeah. the old ways yeah, exactly. on that. Yeah. And that was a mistake. You, you've yeah. got to adapt a whole new... Or just don't start wars. Or just don't start wars, honestly. Wars you definitely cannot win. So yeah, Battle Midway. Again, I think a lot like, you know, last, you know, a couple weeks, my, my inclusion of Stalingrad and the Battle of the Atlantic. A bit obvious, but important. Top five battles, you cannot go wrong with uh, Midway. You're basic, man. bitch. Like I'm you, bit uh, basic. Yeah, yeah, nothing yeah. exciting about me. But I'm going to shake it up with my last All one. right, yeah, do it. And I'm going to shake it up, and then I'll close. And this is one that would not make anyone's list. It shouldn't make anyone's list. But for, I'll explain why. Okay. As I go through it, why it's on my oh, list. I am intrigued. Yeah. So the battle is broadly known as Operation Market Garden. Ah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Here we go. A uh, lot of components to it. I think if you ever watch the movie Bridge Too Far, all you need to see is that scene by the great actor, actor Edward Fox playing um, Brian Horrocks. We will attack Corps. here. Yeah, exactly. We will attack here. Yeah, exactly. And we will attack here. Yeah, exactly. Yes. It's a great oh, scene. For those, for those of you at home, I was I was pretending to point at a, point a large at a giant map, map a... of Holland. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, go watch that scene and it explains to you what Market Garden was supposed to be. But we'll explain it briefly in that it was the idea and tact, it, it was ingenious and very strangely bold considering Montgomery dreamed it up. Just saying. This goes back to, yay, those many podcasts, podcasts ago, ago. where I'm talking crazy about British, British ideas. So everyone did sign off on this, though. It was Montgomery's baby, but everyone signed off on this because it was very bold. It, it, and if successful, would have ended the war very quickly. The problem was, it was again, and you know, as much as you know, crazy British stuff. American industrialization yep. and hubris become yep. our three watchwords yep. yeah. yeah. over these three podcasts. This is again hubris. You know, the Allies Britain think the always, Germans are on the run, and Britain always thinks it can game in during World War Two. It yeah. can game industrial war, like it yeah. can like yeah. like come up with. Oh yeah, everybody thinks you need large armies. No, no, no. no. What you need to do just is just paratroopers. You know, yeah. 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 So the thought was and the Germans learned that paratroopers don't work in Crete. Which Not, they won, at least. Which they won just through f- sheer violence and aggression. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the logic or the, the, the strategy behind Battle of Operation Mark Garden was uh, twofold. First fold was an airborne assault that was going to land paratroopers uh, on the cities of uh, the Dutch cities of, of Eindhoven, Grav, Nijmegen, and then ultimately Arnhem, which would then be... The crossing across the 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 Maas River, the Vaal, and the Rhine, and then as soon as you're over the Rhine, you can turn into the Ruhr, which is their industrial heartland of Germany, and you can pretty much end the war, which is all very true. So that's part one. Part two is uh, an advance uh, by the British Army Thirty Corps that will roll up and you know take over these bridges uh, and. Uh, 
and and this is going to be the actual mechanized fighting force yeah. that's going to move into the Ruhr Valley. The airborne forces are just there to secure the. Yeah, they, they grab them. The, they grab them. Thirty core rolls up. So, you know, and I don't want to get into it because it's not the point of the battle that I find important. Uh, but I'll just briefly say, like, it, it was bold, but it hinged on everything working perfectly. Yes. And immediately, and it's a very complex plan. Yes. And any one part of the plan that goes south. The whole plan is done. Yes. That is guaranteed to fail. Yes. Yes. You need more flexibility in your in your tactical planning, and it had no room for anything to go wrong. I can't believe this got approved. Yeah. I can't I, believe I think again, Eisenhower. Yeah, it's hubris. It's the thought that the German army was in absolute collapse. Yeah, that maybe they, that's it, right? Yeah, it was it's just like, a matter of... It's just like, old yeah. men and children on bicycles. We can roll yeah. up and we can do it. Not realizing that the Germans had... Have you actually, seen German bicycles? <laughs> they're amazing. Yeah. Uh, that the Germans had actually taken a couple of armored divisions, the 9th and 10th SS, out of the fight uh, in France and Belgium further south had rolled them up into Arnhem and the Arnhem area for resupply and re-equipping. And they were in the process of this when everyone dropped So those units on. weren't there because the Germans thought the attack was coming. They just, it was just bad. Dumb luck. Yeah, okay. And bad intelligence by the British, or by the Allies generally, but the yeah. British were really running this show. Yeah. There was a lot of intelligence from the Dutch underground that this was coming, or that this had happened, that these uh, German resort you know, assets were in the area. In the movie, it's the kid on the bicycle. Yeah. 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 Captured yeah. by the kid in the bicycle. Yeah. Very well represented. And it's true. But what is also true is this idea that the British were like, nah, these resistance fighters are not professional soldiers. They haven't been to Sandhurst. Yeah. They don't know. They're just panicky. They see a German soldier and he's all of a sudden an SS Panzer division. Yeah. And what the British didn't realize is like, these people have been living on your occupation <laughs> yes, for exactly. four years. Yes. They know the German army better yeah. than you do. Yeah. You know, in some cases, they've been fighting them longer than you have. So shut up and listen to them. Yeah. They were a huge source of, uh, of intelligence and resource that the British just ignored. I think whoever dreamed up this plan. I don't, I don't Montgomery dreamed it up. Yeah. Yeah, it's his plan. It's, it's a lovely plan, and everybody's going to look for reasons why it should go ahead. So when, yeah. when, when you know, intelligence comes through that says yeah. it wouldn't work, you're going to look for the reasons because you love the work. plan. You, oh, you're going to find, no, no, oh, no, no, why no, that no, intelligence yeah, yeah, is, yeah. yeah. You're just going to ignore it, and you're going to move ahead. Yeah. So it moves ahead. A um, few of the things that go wrong out of the gate. So first off, 30 Corps is a huge mechanized core. You know, three yeah. divisions, guards, armor division. Um, uh, uh, 50, 49th uh, Infantry Division. I love it tank when you brigade. nerd out over the... Yeah, exact. I know. It's yeah. a huge mechanized armored formation. Right. You know, and armored infantry. Mechanized infantry. It's moving up. And this whole area is the Netherlands. So a lot of it is flooded. And a lot of it is really just resting on these like high point road dikes. So it's really like one road you're moving up and not a lot of room for flanking maneuvers at all. That's a problem, okay? That's a logistical problem in terms of the traffic jam you're going to create moving an army up one road. Yeah. And it's an easily defensible yeah, solution exactly. for the Germans. Yeah, like Italy. Exactly. There's no room. You've got mountains and oceans yeah. all around you. You can't flank anybody. Yeah, well, I guess there's no mountains in the Netherlands. But what I mean is it's yeah, narrow. Well, I'm and, taking, yes, that's Italy. Yeah, you're, yeah. And then the, the same tactical salute or tactical problem here is you just can't get off that road often 
So 30 core is going to automatically be slower than it needs to be to roll up these onto these airborne forces. They're going to have to stay fighting longer. Uh, Second problem at the furthest bridge, the bridge too far at Arnhem, as we just discussed, the British dropped on top of two panzer divisions. Okay. This wasn't just a problem for the British though. It was a problem for the British for sure. And it prevented them from ever really getting any assets to the bridge. One battalion gets there. Uh, I think it's second parachute battalion commanded by Johnny Frost. Brilliantly played by Anthony Hopkins. I was just, yes, yes. So good. Such we should good watch movie. this. Oh, this man, time. yeah. I, I just, just want to watch, watch that movie now. I love it. I showed this one to Hugh oh, so many times. He loved this movie. Good movie. Yeah. Um, this, it's not even like a movie. Like it's, it's not, like it's a, not. It's just a it's just docudrama. A yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a docudrama yeah. or something. It's like there's no like character arc. No, or, you no. Know, it's like just that. like here's just, what happened. It, yeah. This could be a documentary, but we'll just put actors in. Uh, so they hold the bridge, half of the bridge, for for a few days. But really, the British never even get close to it. They're crushed out of the gate. Really, just about survival uh, from that point forward. Even though they do, I mean, you cannot, you cannot praise anymore it's not possible to praise enough the, the heroism of the british airborne i mean amazing effort to try and keep going on the offensive and keep getting to that bridge uh and help frost on the bridge and then frost trying to hold the bridge under yeah. what is cripplingly overwhelming odds but these german forces that were in and around arnhem weren't just a problem for the british they're the problem for the americans in nijmegen which was the 82nd airborne division yeah. that dropped there so they race resources down to Nijmegen and plug up the attack on the Nijmegen Bridge, which is a huge uh, bridge over the Vol River. So that's your second, you know, yeah. so now this is creating a problem here that by the time 30 Corps gets even to the Americans, they don't even own the bridge. They've never taken it because these German forces have rolled up too fast. So they've rolled through the the they've farthest gone, the uh, furthest British one, one. Eindhoven, yeah, uh, it, which was and uh, there was Vogel, I think it's called. It's like a little village uh, that was 101st Airborne. They managed to get up to that. I wouldn't say easily, but they get to where the 101st Airborne really does most of its fighting is defending this preposterous salient that just goes off into nowhere. Like, it's just like this 30 core rolling in, and the Germans are hitting it from the sides, yeah. the sides, the sides. So the 101st Airborne, their initial assault on Eindhoven and taking the bridge was fairly easy. And and they didn't have a big scrap. They had a huge scrap in the days afterwards as they're trying to hold the Germans off from pinching off the supply line. Okay, yeah. So, you know, you've got slow 30 core. You've got the fact that the British never really take their bridge. The American 82nd does not take the Vol Bridge until 30 Corps gets there, so then they have to fight it. The whole time you got the Germans counterattacking along your one supply route moving yeah. up. All of this is a disaster. You have fog back in Britain that's slowing the resupply of the uh, of the airborne forces in Arnhem, uh, and also the, uh, bringing in reinforcements from the Polish Airborne yeah. Brigade. I remember them in the movie. Yes, uh, their commander, uh, Sosowski, played by uh, Gene Hackman, of all people. Crazy. Great Polish actor, Gene Hackman. Yeah, this is more a podcast about that movie than it is about this battle. Okay, so ends up what's happening. Well, the, all I know about this battle, I, I got from, from the that movie. movie. Yeah, it's pretty accurate, actually. Yeah. So it ends up what what happens? The 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 popular commentary about this 
battle is the British defense at Arnhem. That is really all anyone talks yeah. about, or their fight at Arnhem. And, you know, that it was a bridge too far. And, uh, you know, the, the British make it to uh, to Nijmegen Bridge. You know. Is Arnhem their ultimate destination? Is yes. That, okay, okay. That's so they the did final bridge. Yeah. Okay. They made it to Nijmegen. They advance up from Nijmegen, but they're just, like, they are hitting huge, you know, the Germans are not going to let them get to Arnhem. And it doesn't matter anyways, because by this stage, Frost and his uh, battalion are, <laughs> are gone, are gone from from uh, from Arnhem. So that you're not going to take Arnhem Bridge anyways. That is the conversation that everyone yeah. talks about this. So I want to your... talk about something else in this. That's far... Is it with the kid with the bicycle? Yeah, he was great. Yeah. No. So east of uh, Nijmegen is a village... Uh, it might be larger. I've never been there, to be honest with you. It could be a larger town. I, I don't know. At the time, I think it was a smaller town named uh, Grosbeek. Okay. And Grosbeek is uh, on a highland, on a on a hill, actually. And so it's a dominant plain. It's called Grosbeek Heights is the area of what it's known as. And um, apparently it's a big part of the Nijmegen March is walking up the Grosbeek Hills is a big uh, challenge. Yeah. Uh, so it's a fairly dominant plain yeah. that sort of commands the area east of the city of Nijmegen. And the American 82nd Airborne Division, as much as they landed on Nijmegen to take that bridge, they also landed, there was some sort of like tactical thinking of like, okay, we need to hold these highland, this highland area to the east uh, on uh, in and around Grosbeek because this is a natural advance, you know, this is where we're going to get hit. The, you know, the German reinforcements are going to come from the east. And if we hold this high ground, we can, you know, half as many troops can defend against that right. and we can yeah. focus our resources or, on the if you don't hold it, the Germans are going to hold it. going to hold it and then you're yeah. in big trouble. This became, and and, the, and they did. And they, they, I guess the long and the short is, they did hold Grosbeek Heights uh, and they held on to it throughout the whole battle that is Operation Market Garden. So after Martin Garden sort of peters out and dies yeah. and, 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 you know, they try and evacuate the British. and oh, yeah. What sort of, happens to everybody? Did they just get yeah. killed or captured? Or? Uh, so uh, a small portion of the British Airborne, probably about 3,000. So they dropped in with a little over 10,000 troops. About 3,000 get evacuated. Yeah. Some are getting, like, some are sneaking across the Rhine River months after the battle's over. Yeah. Like, they're still, they've been hid, hidden by the Dutch resistance. There's onesies and twosies. But about 3,000 British paratroopers get out uh, of Arnhem eventually. Uh, the American airborne forces that are further south uh, end up uh, transferring control of the area to the to British 30 Corps. And then, yeah. And then, and then of, move, yeah. Yeah, I move on from... And then British 30 Corps actually transfers most of the area over to 1st Canadian Army. And 1st Canadian Army moves in and occupies... So they do territory. gain ground as a result of this. They gain ground, and, and the popular commentary is that they gain ground to nowhere. Because it did this sort of advance yeah, cause it, cause up it's this going road, up, right. but it's it not, doesn't do not, anything. It doesn't right? lead to Germany. It doesn't lead to Germany. No. But what it does do, Grosbeek Heights ended up being a far more important piece of real estate than anyone thought it would be. Because that ended up being a, an immensely, not just tactical, I would say strategically important chunk of real estate for the jumping off of the British and Canadian assault over the Rhine in, in early 1945. Yeah. Without holding that real estate, without holding that high ground, uh, the vast mechanized forces of the 
First Canadian Army, Second British Army, which is Twenty First Army Group in the north, would have never been able to get over the Rhine in forty-five. It's certainly not as early as they did, and not as easily as they did. Um, so you have this little like hitch of history where, for tactical reasons on yeah, and the planning said, okay, we've got to take Grosbeek Heights because this is where the Germans are going to counterattack for this battle, and that's it. And then they managed to hold it, and they just kept holding it, and then they just transferred control over. It ended up being more important months later for a completely different campaign that would eventually... I guess the causality analysis would ask then, did the Canadian and the British cross the Rhine there because they owned Grosbeek Heights? Like, Um, or... Yeah, or would they have crossed somewhere else? Yeah. They would have... The geography is very complicated there because there's a lot of flooded land. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very forested. And not many hills. And not many hills and not many roads either. So I mean, it seems to me holding a hill... Is huge in the Netherlands. It's seems like huge. a good idea. It's just, a good idea. Just all around, like there's you know, not eh, a lot of we high take a hill. there. Yeah, not yeah. a lot of ski hills in the Netherlands. So um, I think it really would they have found another tactical position to move off from? Yes, they yeah. would have naturally, yeah. but it wouldn't it wouldn't have resulted in such overwhelming success as yeah. they would have had in in the campaign over the Rhine in forty five because Montgomery. of moving it. Good general or bad? Um. Uh, um good in uh 40 in 42 in el alamein but uh the americans often think him overrated man the americans really yeah, they hate, hate him. him yeah uh, i don't think that's fair but i mean he is immensely arrogant you know his own self-aggrandizement is not justified either he's somewhere in between there are really no brilliant allied generals of of in Europe in World War Two, there just aren't. There's some decent ones, uh, but no great ones. Like there's no Rommels, there's no yeah. Ronsteads. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, I, I just don't see it. I mean, uh, like like a, there's a, good manager. Like exactly, Eisenhower was, was a good great bureaucrat, a great general bureaucrat, which is what he yes. needed. Exactly. Yeah, because it's an industrial war. He's trying to, ma- yeah. and he's also uh, diplomatically trying to manage yeah. like the prickly relationships yeah. of all these nations and yeah. stuff. Perfect for that job. Uh, does that make him like a battlefield commander? There's uh, no Napoleons. Yeah. 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 I don't think, but you don't want Napoleons because like, you don't need it. You Britain know? was always trying to Napoleon this war and it's like, stop <laughs> it. Stop no, doing. you don't need to don't do, do it. it. You just need to build more shit. Yeah. That's it. It's like, you it's, win. it's really a simple concept. Yeah. It's like make a large army. Yeah. Attack the other army. Yeah. Well, I guess you do have to win. You know what I mean? But, but like, like, make your army larger than the other army. Yeah, and, and then, then attack. Win, and then attack, and then you yeah. win. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Montgomery, I mean, I'm not in love with him. Uh, yeah. But I don't... Uh, he definitely doesn't deserve the vitriol of most American historians. But, it, but, but he doesn't deserve his own praise yeah. that he yeah. gets. Uh, somewhere in between. But, I mean, this this goes back to the point I was making, um, let's say, last week. Yeah. Uh, the war Britain was fighting was a public affairs war. Like, that was what they could bring to the fight. Yeah. was a great narrative. Yeah. Like, a, a scrappy that. little underdog. Notwithstanding the fact that they're a world-spanning, oppressing empire. Colonial empire. Uh, yeah. You know, but they're the scrappy little underdog in this fight. Yeah. Um, For sure. You know, so so Montgomery, you know, with his, with his beret. Yeah, and, his armored beret and yeah. everything. Yeah. 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 Interesting, man. Yeah. That's it. That's all I got. Man. Boy, I made three podcasts out of one. Pretty no, good. we spent three weeks. 
I know. In three the podcast weeks. minds. I know. Three three weeks of podcasts. At I, the cold was, face. Oh, oh, cold face. Was it supposed to be one podcast? Yeah. Made three? Well, it's good working. stuff. You know, it's like it's like uh, Hitler probably didn't think he was starting like six years of war. He was like, I'm going to do one podcast worth of a war. <laughs> and then I... And it turns out it lasts for three years. Of it. Yeah. There it is. All right. All right. We're off. Good, good night. night.